0: and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 119. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, we just wanna remind you as always that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot, and post it to your social media stories. Tag Jack, tag myself, and tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians. So, episode 119, getting into another question and answer today. So the first question is how much caffeine is too much?
1: How much caffeine is too much? Caffeine. Mm.
0: Yes, this can be subjective and objective.
1: <laughs> yes, it's it can be quite a hot topic because everyone likes coffee, everyone likes the stimulatory effect of caffeine. Mm-hmm. And
0: well not everyone everyone, but the large majority majority of the human population yeah it makes you feel pretty good
1: and there's also a large variability in terms of how how you experience caffeine like some people are a lot more resistant to its effects whereas there are some people who have a piece of dark chocolate and they get heart palpitations (laughs) oh
0: oh man getting a buzz from that (laughs)
1: yeah so let's start off with what are the actual guidelines so we've done there are actually some objective guidelines for people who live in Australia. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, there is a nutrition body, I guess you would call it, called Fizans, which is the food standards for Australia and New Zealand. And they basically provide a lot of our regulation around nutrition and health when it comes to food safety, even things like measuring the antibiotic trace amounts in our food and what is a safe amount. That's why whenever someone uh, asks us a question about uh, the, the, listen, the the person who asked us about this in terms of kangaroo meat and, and tapeworms, I think uh, if you're listening to this, then that was a great question but if if something like that existed, then the Fizans would manage it, like the mm-hmm. Fizans is there to do its thing, we're a first world country everything has a lot of evidence base behind it in terms of all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of rest assured in that matter.
0: You can count on Fazans. <laughs> and the,
1: the only reason why, I, I at least have a lot of faith in them, and the only reason why something might not be updated or present is just because there hasn't been enough research around it. It's because like just like anything else in the health and fitness industry, something doesn't become mainstream until we discover it. Mm-hmm. Like what about refeeds or diet breaks? They weren't a thing like 30 years ago.
0: Yeah, so Fizan- That was my tangent. <laughs> Fasans is awesome, and if you're ever in doubt about something iffy, you've heard about nutrition, like, oh... Ask us
1: first, but go to Phyzan's second.
0: Yes, absolutely. But getting back to caffeine, how much caffeine is too much, according to Phyzan's?
1: Okay, so let's spit some numbers. So basically, if you're over 18 years old, then the maximum is 400 milligrams of caffeine per day from all sources. However, they indicate that you should be getting only a maximum of 200 milligrams in a single serving. Mm -hmm. And before we elaborate on that, I'll touch on the other two components. So if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, they recommend a maximum of 200 milligrams per day from all sources. And if you're under 18 years old, so a lot of people might kind of blanket statement these people as these people. So anyone, (laughs) uh, children, young adults, teenagers. The people we used to be. (laughs) Uh, basically a lot of people would blanket statement them as saying no, you're never allowed caffeine. But what Fazan says is no more than three milligrams of caffeine per kilo in a single serving.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, that's that's interesting.
0: So those are the numbers. But I guess speaking to the majority of our audience who is over the age of 18 years old and probably not breastfeeding or pregnant, but if you are, congratulations on your on your child. But 400 milligrams per day. Man, there are a heck of a lot of caveats to that because Mm. that does kind of clash with sports nutrition guidelines because we know caffeine is an amazing ergogenic aid. Caffeine is one of the most researched and evidence-based supplements out there that can enhance your exercise performance acutely. And sports nutrition guidelines recommend that you consume between three to six milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight around 60 minutes prior to commencing exercise to really get those performance benefits. Mm. Now, if you're only consuming, what, 400 milligrams max per day, and you can only consume 200 milligrams in a single serving, in order to stay within that 200 milligrams within a single serving, you pretty much have to weigh less than 70 kilograms, Yeah, which especially the average dude, does not weigh less than 70 kilograms.
1: Mm. So like, for example, if I, whenever I wake up in the morning, I have usually two tablespoons of instant coffee. Like Mm -hmm. that's probably around 200 milligrams at least. And I don't, I don't even consume a lot of caffeine by normal people's standards. And then uh, probably two to three hours after that, I'll have pre-workout as well. And that'll probably be, around like three to 350 milligrams. So Mm -hmm. that's already over my limit. And (laughs) if I wanted to consume six milligrams per kilo of body weight, that would be, I'm around 80 kilos right now, six times eight. So that's 480 milligrams in one serving, so. In
0: one serving, and according to Fazan's, you have well exceeded the daily cap.
1: Yeah, that's for sure, so.
0: (laughs) But the interesting thing is, is that that 400 milligrams per day, They say that that equivalates to an average four cups of coffee that is so subjective in itself as well. And have you guys ever noticed that when you buy a jar of instant coffee or you buy a coffee, it never has on the back, like a nutrient information panel, or it never says one teaspoon or five grams of this instant coffee equivalates to this amount of caffeine. Because no one really knows, like it's a huge question up in the air that you can't exactly answer unless you specifically went into a food science chemistry lab with that specific coffee and did some, you know, magic tests with special potions. And you actually found out, okay, how much caffeine in milligrams is actually in this teaspoon? Because it's going to be so highly dependable on various different factors, depending on where did your coffee bean actually come from? Geographically, where was that coffee bean tree on the planet? And the transport of how that coffee bean got to whatever cafe or whatever supermarket you're buying it or from now. Well, the
1: processing plant.
0: Yeah, the processing plant. Like, this coffee bean, it's it's gone on a life journey mm. <laughs> to get into your how cup was today. How it processed.
1: <laughs> what was the soil composition like? What actual strand of coffee bean was it? Mm-hmm all of that type of stuff.
0: Yeah. How just is like it... any
1: other fruit, vegetable or whole grain. And mm-hmm. um, like it, it vastly depends on all of those factors. Yeah.
0: Which is majorly going to influence like the nutrient composition of a fruit or a vegetable or mm-hmm. the caffeine content of your bean. So the temperature, the grinding process there, the timing, so many different factors. How many
1: stirs of your teaspoon? Maybe yeah. not. But... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who really knows? And that's why they just can't confidently say how many milligrams is actually in A specific quantity of that coffee. Mm. So.
1: Mm. Well, interestingly enough, on the website, they do list that it is one teaspoon is approximately 80 grams, but there's probably a 50% margin of error there. (laughs)
0: yeah so it could what be 40 or it could be 120 and that's huge and i remember even when we were in uni we had a nutrition professor and he said he got to do this really fun study where he went down to melbourne with a whole bunch of his other professor friends and they actually went around to all of these cafes in melbourne and they ordered different cups of coffee and they had a little sip of the coffee just to enjoy it of course but then they took a sample of that coffee and they took it back to the lab and they actually measured the amount of caffeine within those coffees and they tried to standardize their coffees. I think Mm. they just ordered, I'm not sure what they ordered. It was, it was just a standard coffee. Maybe it was just a, like
1: a single shot espresso or something,
0: something like that, but the range was huge. So let's say they all ordered from 20 different cafes, a single shot espresso. The amount of caffeine ranging in there was like from 50 milligrams to 250 milligrams Mm. And even if, (laughs) I would even argue that when people are like, oh yeah, I put about a teaspoon of coffee in my cup. Even that's subjective in itself, man. It's kind of like a teaspoon or a tablespoon of peanut butter. It's like we all have a different idea of what that amount Mm -hmm. equates to.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like your teaspoon for prep is different for your teaspoon for the improvement season. Mm -hmm. You've got some tiny teaspoons.
0: (laughs) And that's the thing. Like when I measure out my instant coffee in the morning, I'll do three heap teaspoons. And you might look at that and be like, man, that's a lot of coffee. But then you've got a spoon. you have got a serving
1: spoon. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a
0: massive dessert spoon. And then you measure out like one or two. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, what I'm trying to say here is that Unless you actually go into a lab and measure your coffee, you're never truly going to know just how much caffeine is in that thing. Yeah. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our Instagram and YouTube channel. So make sure to go over to those platforms and search The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there.
1: And I I think I just want to touch really quickly, it's a little bit of a tangent, but When people say that they have to take coffee out or they have to take out caffeine like whether it's for weight loss or whether it's for their health like just be certain that like that's a a quite a common thing to hear from like f45 challenges Mm -hmm. and stuff when there's it's very unlikely to be inhibiting your weight loss or, Mm or almost impossible unless you're getting some of the more negative side effects from a high caffeine intake but the actual mechanism of caffeine or coffee hindering your weight loss it it doesn't make any sense
0: no if anything like they show that if you drink a substantial amount of green tea which has caffeine in it per day you might burn an extra 50 to 100 calories across the day because your metabolic rate slightly increased yeah yeah but it's not significant across the day but uh, i think the only way that caffeine could hinder your weight loss is one if you're drinking your coffee with like butter or coconut yeah. milk in it, or like a bunch of milk that's, every that's single day, thing, you
1: know, where I forget the name, but it's like what keto dieters do, where they bulletproof, bulletproof coffee, bulletproof coffee, that's it, yeah,
0: <laughs> more like calorie dense. Yeah, <laughs> but if you're putting obviously calories into your coffee, and that's canceling out your energy deficit. Or if you're just like taking crazy shots all day long and remember, it's not just, yeah, it's not just coffee that has caffeine. Like caffeine is present in more than 60 different types of plants. It's present in obviously all of your energy drinks, your pre-workouts, even things like Coca-Cola and these different diet drinks, like caffeine, it's everywhere. Caffeine's actually even in your clothes. Really? Yeah, caffeine's... I remember learning that from another sports science professor about how caffeine's actually in clothing. Caffeine, it's all around us.
1: That reminds me of those people in the gym who, like, in a hard set, they'll, like, bite their shirt. (laughs) and Then they'll have that saliva mark. What the heck? (laughs) Haven't you seen that? (laughs) Getting a hit. Yeah, they're getting a hit. Oh, man. Well, maybe they'll dust some caffeine powder around there. I don't know. (laughs) But I think let's kind of relate to what would we recommend. I think... If you are sensitive to caffeine, then I think to be safe on the podcast, we should always say, okay, bear in mind with the current recommendations by Mm. Fazans, and potentially if you can handle a bit more and you are a sporting individual or an athlete, then maybe go with the athletic recommendations prior to exercise, which is the three to six milligrams per kilo of body weight. And if you don't get any... Uh, detrimental side effects from that then potentially that might be your your way forward like what i wouldn't do is have like six milligrams per kilo more than once a day mm-hmm. and i also personally i wouldn't have it after midday either because it's probably going to influence my sleep and that's kind of like a huge point of what are some of the more negative uh, side effects of caffeine
0: and that would tie in with all those f45 preachers mm about how if you're drinking too much caffeine and it's hindering your sleep, obviously we know that sleep is like the golden ticket to living your best life. So if you're not getting enough sleep at night, then that could potentially be hindering your body composition changes too.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think a lot of people know the side effects of too much caffeine. You get Mm -hmm. a bit jittery, you get a bit anxious. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've experienced that in the past with with anxiety and the heart
0: palpitations you feel like you're on drugs like but remember caffeine it's it is a drug
1: Mm. is it a drug or stimulant or are they interchangeable
0: it's a it's a stimulating drug
1: okay (laughs) yeah so anxiety when you have too much it raises your heart rate Mm -hmm. and it can give you heart palpitations potentially yeah
0: you can feel dizzy you can get headaches like and that's why again if you're going toward those sports nutrition guidelines of three to six milligrams per kilo of body weight an hour before your exercise always start on the lower end Mm. start with three milligrams per kilo and if you don't feel a thing work your way up a little bit but don't go up toward that higher end. I even did a presentation back in uni on these women who are doing bench press because I was doing a presentation on the benefits of caffeine for exercise performance, but they were prescribed between six to nine milligrams wow. per kilo of body weight. And they all improved their bench press performance compared to a placebo when they were consuming caffeine, which is awesome. But the women who were consuming nine milligrams per kilo of body weight of caffeine, they were having these negative experiences but to the max some of these women would be on the bench bawling their eyes out like that's what the researchers were noting they said some women were in tears they were crying (laughs) imagine (laughs) trying to (laughs)
1: surprise they got passed by ethics
0: i know like you made her cry (laughs) no but you do not want to be going for trying to attempt a bench pr and crying and that's definitely a sign that you probably went a little bit too hard on the caffeine. <laughs> so pull it back a little bit. So, I personally, I respond pretty well, anywhere probably between three to five milligrams per kilo of body weight. Uh, but again, unless you're under 70 kilograms, then you're probably not going to stick within that Fizan's guideline of only having a max 200 milligrams at one time.
1: Mm, I agree. And what I do myself is I just, as I said, I just have it prior to. I have my last amount of caffeine or direct source, like probably around 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. And if I want something that tastes like coffee later in the day, I'll just have some decaf, mm. which I've been having a lot recently.
0: Yeah. Decaf is is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, try to front load it, certainly. Mm. And yeah, definitely try to taper it down toward the end of the day. It's tough for people who work like a nine to five and then gym in the afternoon or, or at night after 5 p.m. And obviously you're exhausted from work, but you want to get a really good workout in mm.
1: too. Well, some people just it genuinely doesn't affect their sleep, mm. which is great.
0: Yeah, a lot of people do have different tolerances to it. And that's yeah. obviously going to be based on your genetics. Like how quickly can you metabolize caffeine? So it'll stay in some people's systems for longer, but it's all a game of trial and error and getting to learn what works best for you. Mm. But caffeine and coffee in itself... It's still very healthy. Like I read a statistic once talking about how coffee is actually one of the greatest contributors to Americans diets in terms of antioxidant <laughs> content.
1: <laughs> I'm not that surprised. It's probably the same in Australia as well. Yeah. Con- considering the percentage for people actually consuming their required amount of vegetables mm. is very, very poor.
0: Yeah. And we even did a post like ages ago on TBD on don't cut back on mm. your coffee. It wasn't that long ago. Okay, well, if it wasn't that long ago, guys, head over to TBD Instagram, scroll down and read that post because it's a good one.
1: Yeah, it is. But uh, let's move on. It's been a solid 16 minutes about caffeine. Okay,
0: could have finished a cup of coffee in this time. Okay, so next question. Would you ever stop tracking macros?
1: So I assume this question is directed at within my sporting career, I guess, so to speak, because I I don't think I'll be tracking macros when I'm 80 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't even know what nutrition will look like then. It, will, it might even, yeah, might be all having injected up to IV bags by then.
0: I hope not because I really <laughs> like eating my roast turkeys on the weekend.
1: <laughs> and yeah, I think it's, it's a tough question to answer, to be completely frank. And we touched on this in our comp prep roundtable as well, how the, there are benefits to each side of the coin and potentially to experience all the benefits, you need to have periods of not tracking and tracking So for example, the benefits of tracking is we know that there's increased accuracy for individual macronutrient intake and how that affects your body composition and performance. And on the flip side of the coin, we know with intuitive eating or not tracking that there's less restrictions around being bound by numbers and increased freedom on social occasions. The reduced anxiety and pressure around certain periods when you don't feel like you are able to track accurately so i guess being comfortable with both is the best place to be
0: Mm -hmm. and that's one of the biggest benefits to actually at least going through a period of tracking your macros and weighing out your food because it just ingrains you with such a great skill that you can carry on with for the rest of your life and Ultimately, the goal isn't to be tracking your food and meticulously paying attention to numbers and putting everything that you put into your mouth on a scale first. That's that's not the ultimate goal, but there's no denying that it does really allow you to expand your knowledge of what are you truly putting into your body?
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think without a doubt that if I did go away from macro tracking, I would be not just because I'm a dietitian, but also because I have done. There's plenty of dietitians who, if you were uh, told them to try and guess the amount of calories in something or the macros, they would they would not be able to do that. Mm. They would be very similar to the average person, <laughs> and but because we have tracked uh, very consistently for a long time, we would have a much better knowledge around that, and I would be a lot more comfortable. So. Yeah, in terms of if I stopped tracking, I think some of the benefits would be that I would feel a bit more free in terms of, like I would go to the supermarket and kind of just have a lot more variety of different foods. Mm -hmm. Uh, There would be, it would be more difficult to, because I would still want things to cater to my goals. Like I'm not just going to, if I stop tracking, the the difficulty is still making it uh, very conducive to my body composition related goals. So trying to still... Uh, hit a calorie target and hit a rough macronutrient target each day. And hitting a rough macronutrient target isn't hard, especially if I just break it down into each meal. Uh, but it, I just don't see it as being conducive in an accuracy sense, mm-hmm. which gets me personally. Yeah,
0: and it gets me too. And I've been there and I've done that. There, there were periods throughout uni, throughout all of those four and a half years, where I'd go through periods where I would track and I wouldn't track. And to be completely honest, like I didn't make very good progress when I wasn't tracking. And I didn't make very good progress before I actually started tracking either, because as an athlete, I was majorly under eating because I had this perception in my mind of what a serving size was. And I didn't want to exceed that. For example, I'd make a, myself a stack of pancakes before I'd go out for a 20 kilometer run but my stack of pancakes only had 30 grams of buckwheat in it. And then I was questioning, why am I always so hungry? Why am I always so starving? Like, am I broken? Something's wrong with my hunger signals. It's like, no, you are just an athlete expending a huge amount of energy and you're not eating enough. So once I actually started to track and understand that, whoa, I'm actually only eating like 1600 calories a day, and then I started to eat more, I felt so much better. And my performance just skyrocketed. Just my health skyrocketed. I just had more energy as a person. Just all aspects of my life improved. And also coincided with my body composition goals too. That majorly improved as well. Mm. Because before I started tracking, like. If we would be out at uni or something and I would have a more active day than usual, like for one of our pracs, if we were out on the field running around for two hours and then I was like, okay, cool. I'm going home for lunch after this. I need to eat a bit of extra food. My idea of extra food was like an extra quarter cup of oats. That's insignificant. That's that's hardly anything. Like mm-hmm. I need more food than that. So it's really taught me to eat enough.
1: Yeah. Hey guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. I think if if I ever were to stop tracking, it would probably be for shorter periods, like if we go on holiday Mm. or if we have a day out potentially or potentially intuitively eating for meals out. But would I do it for, like, days and weeks on end? Mm-hmm. Uh, unless it's a holiday, probably not. Uh, but my mind can be changed, I'm open to change, and I'm always open to admit when I've said something wrong, mm-hmm. as we have done in the past. And I think a good example for me is, like, let's say I want pumpkin right now. And I, I love pumpkin, and I would gladly have pumpkin over other more carbohydrate-dense food, foods like flour or potato or oats. But the thing with pumpkin is if i want pumpkin right now a, a normal meal for me at the moment is around like 150 to 250 grams of carbs depending on what time of the day i have it but that's literally like well over that's getting up to two kilos of pumpkin and if you're intuitively eating you don't just look at two kilos in pumpkin and be like hmm that's about right you look at like 500 grams of pumpkin like that's a more normal serving size mm-hmm. or even less like 300 to 500 so I think intuitive eating is quite difficult for people who are very performance driven or people who do who are outliers in terms of their nutritional intake. Like if you're um, someone who consumes like 2,000 to 2,500 calories a day, that might be a little bit easier. But I would argue that if... And I know some people are going to... Because there are actual evidence-based definitions for intuitive eating, with, mm-hmm. which we're not using here. I'm just... When I say intuitive eating, I just mean you're not tracking macros. That's Mm. my take on it. And basically, I would argue that if you're intuitive eating, in quotation marks, but you're trying to structure your day around macros and calories still, without tracking, are you really intuitive eating? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Are you really using your intuition? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Because like, if you're still trying to base it off macros and calories, you're just not logging it, Mm -hmm. then to me... There's not. It's like potato, potato. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'd say more. You're using your prior knowledge and your skills mm. in order to make an informed choice on. Yeah, I probably. You know, if I was to put this on a scale, it would probably be around this much protein, around this much carbs. Maybe add a little bit of fat in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. And
1: just on a funny note, sorry, but like the the inaccuracy at which people use my fitness pal, they might as well be guesstimating like that anyway. Mm-hmm. So. I
0: just think that before I actually learned how to track and I started paying attention to these things, I was majorly under eating. And also I just didn't understand how many carbohydrates I actually required. And if I were to eat more, I would generally gravitate toward higher protein and higher fat foods. So for example, I would have like what I... That's the thing is, it's like we're we're always stuck in what oh, what is a portion size, right? Like, no, it's not just what is a portion size. Like, what's a portion size for you, yeah. based on the context of your lifestyle and your energy expenditure and your energy needs? So that's portion sizes kind of get to me, mm-hmm. and they held me back for a really long time.
1: Well, I think portion size is good for vegetables because, mm-hmm. like, there should be a minimum portion size, yeah, in terms of daily intake, but. In terms of carbohydrates for you and me, yeah, there's not, there's definitely not a minimum. Or yeah. Maximum.
0: And I remember like maximum. before I actually started setting myself and aiming for specific targets, what I would do is I would just track a day on my fitness pal throughout what I was eating. And my fat was just really high. Like I would only have like maybe 50 grams of raw couscous, but I'd put like two tablespoons of olive oil on there. Like it would be a lot more conducive for my goals and the type of activity that I'm performing to probably up my (laughs) couscous to 150 grams and maybe have two teaspoons of olive oil on there. So really changing that up. But I know that when I, when I went through phases of not tracking and just eating, I would maintain my weight. Like my weight wouldn't necessarily go up. It wouldn't necessarily go down. It would maintain, but my training performance didn't really go very far. And I pretty much just plateaued for quite a few years in the gym did you find
1: that you were potentially more food focused as well because you were trying to like almost stressing a little bit or is this too much is this too little Mm, like that kind of stuff
0: not necessarily if anything that that was one of the benefits of not tracking macros for me is that i did feel more free in my food choices which Mm -hmm. was quite nice so for example i would bake a big thing of chicken breasts for meal prep for the week and i would dice up onion and kale and celery and put a big bed of vegetables underneath and then after i'd take those chicken breasts out and put them in the fridge i would keep all of those vegetables in that chicken stock for soup and then a few nights of the week i would make myself a hot soup and i would put noodles in there and i'd put little bits of the chicken breast and i wouldn't track it but it was freaking delicious and the truth is i kind of miss that like Mm. i know i could still do that now but it is really hard to actually track and actually n- know mm. how much energy is actually in those things. Yeah.
1: And that's, I'm in agreement with you on that, but that's the, the one very enticing thing about
0: mm-hmm.
1: like not tracking is just that freedom aspect of, yeah. of being able to eat whatever you want and not worry about the numbers. Yeah,
0: Chuck a bunch of stuff into a slow cooker, you know, and cook it all up and then just get yourself a big ladle and just fill up a bowl and just have that for dinner and it's going to be delicious obviously it's going to provide you with energy and you know like you're in control of what you put in there so it's still good quality nutritious food but at the end of the day long term is it really going to maximize your results and your body composition change it's tough Mm. yeah
1: cool well i think that wraps up that question pretty well
0: yeah so we are going to keep tracking <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think for now yeah. yeah I'm a little still a little bit too food focused too <laughs> if I gave my mind free reign on how much I ate I probably would over, either severely undereat because I would be worried about gaining weight too quickly or I'll just overeat. yeah like, it's hard to find that middle ground right now
0: yeah I think I would probably just balance out at a certain body weight and I'd probably just plateau mm. yeah there's it goes without saying that tracking keeps you on track mm. and it's helpful and it's, I think it's a great tool for the right person. Like if it genuinely doesn't bother you, if you don't see it as a burden, of which neither you or I do, like I would never complain of, oh, I've got to weigh out this apple. Like <laughs> it doesn't bother me. It, and it takes like zero time out of yeah. my day. And it's just a habit. And it helps me achieve my goals in a shorter time frame as well, more efficiently. It doesn't bother me. But man, if it's really bothering you and you see it as a huge burden, then yeah, it's probably not sustainable for you. So don't do it.
1: Mm. Simple as that.
0: Mm-hmm. All right.
1: I think we got time for one more.
0: All right. So this last question, it's actually about tracking too. Yeah. <laughs> but this question says, how do you accurately track different cuts of meat?
1: Great. So this is a good question. And yeah, it does relate to tracking, of course. I think this is a bit faster as well. And basically I'm going to refer you to Fazans again, our best friend. <laughs> And Fazans has something called the Australian Food Composition Database. And many of you might know that what it was previously called, which is NUTTAB. And we've talked about NUTTAB many times before. I didn't actually realize until today that NUTTAB is now what this is, the Australian Food Composition Database, and I don't think you did either. <laughs> uh, so that's that's interesting, but I guess they're both a- interchangeable now and in MyFitnessPal. But basically if you just go uh, Fazans Australian Food Composition Database or if I, I just go Fizan's Food Works and then it basically brings up a searchable database where you can really just type in what you're eating and then if that product is in Australia or it basically has the vast majority of products in Australia, whether it be packaged mainly like fresher products, like it's not gonna have a Snickers bar for example, it's mm-hmm. gonna have stuff like your cuts of meat, your fruit, your vegetables, your your baked goods, your more generic items but not specific brand names which are the things that we need on my fitness pal anyway because a Snickers bar has a barcode on it or a protein bar has a barcode on it mm-hmm. which is which is useful. So basically what I would do is let's say I'm having what's a cut of meat that I could
0: Well, on the weekend we did slow cook turkey drumsticks.
1: Good example, and I did I put this on my Instagram story as well which was fun. But essentially, the turkey drumsticks is a bit harder because it obviously includes the bone. So what you can do is just weigh it before and after, uh, with and without the bone after consuming the meat, and then you'll just have the meat. But like, what if it's your last meal of the day and you need to have it accurate because you don't don't have anything to play around with afterwards Mm -hmm. to, to make it fit in. So essentially, what I would do is choose something as close as possible on that food nutrient database so I'll just type in uh, turkey leg or just turkey and then it would pop up with lots of different options so I think the one I chose was uh, they didn't have turkey leg specifically but they did have uh, like turkey thigh raw dark meat skin on and that's essentially what the turkey leg is it's a dark form of meat it had the skin on and it wasn't the breast so the, the darker meat is naturally a bit fattier and After that, then I would find out how much the bone would weigh. So there is a lot of information on the internet about like the, the composition of different meat products in terms of how much is bone and how much is flesh. So I just did some research there and I found out that the, the turkey, the turkey leg bone is around 30% of the total weight. (laughs) So that is like an average of an average, but it's still definitely, definitely Uh, better than nothing
0: give or take because we know bone mineral density is related to your calcium intake and your resistance (laughs) training so it depends uh you know how how well this turkey was fed and how much it was moving around Mm -hmm.
1: so basically what i would do let's say the turkey leg weighs one kilo and then i would basically we know that 70 percent of that is going to be meat so 700 grams of meat and then i'll just track that in my fitness pal as the reading I got from the Australian food composition database mm-hmm. so hopefully that makes sense and I would basically do that for any other meat and any other meat that doesn't have bones it's even easier you just literally go on that website and you see if something can come up in my fitness Pal for it that links to that website if not you just create a new entry in my fitness Pal using the numbers on that database
0: mm-hmm. yeah so fazans and Nuttab, they are your true best friends if you truly want to know what's actually in your food.
1: Mm. And I guess even if you're in different countries, like how much is a turkey leg going to change?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man, like because my family here, we we celebrate I mean in terms of
1: in terms of size, sure, but like what about <laughs> the actual like fat and protein content? Sure, there's going to be some variation between all animals, but like mm-hmm. even on the same turkey farm in Australia, there's probably going to be some Discrepancy, Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, but I definitely know that there's a different breed of turkey over in the US <laughs> like those things are big and because we celebrate Thanksgiving being from North America, even though we're here in Australia, but when we get a turkey, you know, it's like we're like, oh, this is just like kind of like a big chicken because like in the US, you've got to buy like specific ovens in order to bake a Thanksgiving turkey. Mm. They are that big, yeah. huge.
1: Well, I don't know what to say.
0: (laughs) They're just big birds. (laughs) Yeah, they're just big. And they're freaking delicious. Turkey's the best, man. I feel like turkeys want to, especially like you and I love turkey drumsticks. We love turkey wings and so grateful they sell them at the supermarket here. But I feel like for a lot of Australians, it's not a common thing that people eat. Yeah.
1: I found that, I don't know, I'm (laughs) just very open to different foods Mm -hmm. and I find that some people aren't and that's just the way it is like whether it's vegetables or whether it's like not trying kangaroo like yeah. I, I can understand because it's maybe ethics or because it's our emblem but mm-hmm. like if you eat chicken they're both animals
0: yeah yeah all right well that is how you track a turkey drumstick <laughs> Yeah. all right guys so last thing we always finish each podcast on is one thing that we learned this week so jack what did you learn this week
1: so I'm gonna pull an easy one and say that I didn't know that NutTab was no longer a thing. Uh, so they've replaced it with that Australian food composition database. So
0: I'm pretty sure that NutTab used to be called Oz Nut.
1: Yeah, I can. I can. Not surprised they changed that name. Let's just say <laughs> Oz-nut. that OzNut,
0: <laughs> Because okay, I I was looking at the Spudlight potato packet, and you know how mm. on Spudlight it's like 25% less carbs than your average potato. They actually have a little disclaimer on the packet saying uh, this is an average that can be taken plus or minus 25%. Wow. So I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> so you're telling me that spud lights actually could have the same amount of carbs as an average potato? Would have never guessed that, man. But it does say this information is taken from Oznut. 2011. Mm. So, your Spud Light potatoes, at least the packet that I read, guys, go to the supermarket. they're and- honest. Well, wait, <laughs> at have least they're honest, that but anyway. that was a decade ago. Mm. 10 years ago, they calculated the average amount of carbs in your Spud Light potato, which does have a 25% carb discrepancy. And they are claiming that they have 25% less carbs. <laughs>
1: Could even have more than a normal potato. Like, Honestly,
0: like I didn't even eat potatoes in prep. But if I did eat potatoes in prep, I would probably just eat normal potatoes. I
1: that's what I've been doing. Yeah. yeah
0: just just eat the normal taters, man.
1: Mm. So <laughs> what did you learn this week, though?
0: This week I learned how to turn off my Instagram notifications. <laughs> I don't know why it took me so long. I just find that it is very distracting. Like when things are ping, 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 like popping up on my phone all the time so i actually learned how to go into my phone settings and turn off instagram notifications so that when i'm in the gym i'm not always seeing my phone screen flash with just little things like this person commented on this thing uh which has been really nice and a heck of a lot less distracting for me during my training session so i feel like i'm in control when i go on instagram now So if I want to go onto the app during a training session, upload like a lifting video to my story or something, I'm in that control, but I'm not like probed to go on to the app between my sets without me making that decision. So yeah, guys, if you're finding that things on your phone are distracting, just turn off that little notifications tab and then you can take a nice breather. Mm.
1: (laughs) then you won't get the endorphin rush from all the little dings
0: (laughs) but then you can go like if you post something then you can open up and get an even bigger endorphin rush because it's been a while and it's like 150 likes and you're like oh cool (laughs) (laughs) anyway that's what i learned this week so uh yeah that was our podcast today
1: very cool well uh thank you for listening guys if you enjoyed it make sure to share it Tag myself, tag Tierra, tag TVD and we will catch you for our Road to 2023 series in a few days.
0: Bye.